People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. In the world of commercial construction, it is not often that we encounter a female CEO. But for Skyline Enterprises, this transformation is not new, and Jessica Karps is not a usual candidate for a role like this. With its roots in the Bay Area, Skyline has now expanded into Washington, Texas, Illinois, and Southern California. But its focus remains steadfast towards its clients, which is what has been driving their growth. Today's conversation takes us through the commercial construction industry and its drivers in a new post-COVID world. Skyline, which has successfully navigated the last two years, is poised for exceptional growth. And Jessica's here to tell us a little bit about how they are going to achieve that. Welcome to the pod, Jessica. Jessica, good morning. Good morning. Hey, Vlad. It's wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Where did we find you today? Where are you? Uh, I am in our office in San Francisco. Excellent. Excellent. By way of introduction, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, you and Skyline and uh, what you guys do uh, so our audience knows who we're talking about. Sure. Well, before I jump into it, I want to make sure to take the time to thank you so much for having me on and, and letting me come on and join you and talk a little bit about Skyline. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, but but a little bit about Skyline. Skyline is a 100% employee-owned general contractor. Uh, we specialize in commercial interior construction, and we've got about 350 employees in nine offices across four states. And our goal is really to provide the project delivery experience of a best-in-class local contractor but with the peace of mind that a large national contractor provides. So, so what does that mean for the customer? It means that they get the dedication and attentiveness of a local project team with years in the market and the relationships with subcontractors and building engineers that you need to really see a project through and get it done and get the tenant in on time. But with the balance sheet and financial peace of mind that you get from a large national contractor. Um, A little bit about me. So I'm not a builder by trade. I'm not an architect. Uh, But um, my background is actually in finance and accounting. And I started my career in management consulting and from there moved on to manufacturing and spent some time there. Probably too long. Uh, but that's not my fault because I'm from the Midwest <laughs> and manufacturing <laughs> is what we do out there. Right, um, right. And I joined the construction industry in 2010 and I haven't looked back. 
Um, but people would probably say that's inevitable. Construction is a little bit in my blood. My dad is a, uh, to this day, a card carrying union carpenter. And, um, he was a superintendent and both of my parents worked. So when I was a kid and my dad had to get out to the job site on Saturdays, my brother and I were going with him. (laughs) So I spent a fair amount of time in job site trailers, eating donuts and looking at blueprints. Um, I have some great memories of, um, going up in cranes and, One of my favorite memories that everyone in my family likes to talk about is uh, my dad was the superintendent on one of the riverfront towers, which at the time was one of the tallest residential towers in the city of Detroit. And um, Cecil Fielder came to hit baseballs off the top of the tower while it was while it was in progress. So one of my favorite memories is standing up on top of the tower, watching Cecil Fielder hit baseballs out over the Detroit River. So okay, super <laughs> right. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And now you're sort of full circle in the in the seat again, right? Uh, in that industry. So, oh yeah, um, my my dad would say that he has done his job both in life and as a parent because he can say that his daughter's the CEO of a construction company. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. So tell us a little bit about you know skyline itself and how how long have you been there um and kind of you know maybe a little bit of a sort of timeline you know from its roots um in the bay area and kind of how it got into the four states in in which you are now sure yeah so skyline was founded in 1996 we have been in esop since 2005 um and i joined skyline in 2015 and really the past Uh, call it five to seven years have been about growth and about about expanding our geographic footprint. Um, When I joined Skyline, we, I closed the books for the first time on 2014 on 176 million in revenue. And in 2020, we did 523 million. And in 2022, we will likely do about 725 million in revenue. And how we got to that growth is we started looking at, well, with our partnerships with our customers, um, we've had people asking us for ages, hey, can you just come and help me build here? Hey, I, I need a contractor in this city. Can you do it for me? And that was really the impetus for the start of our growth and expansion. Um, we opened our office in Chicago in 2019. And at the same time, we built up our capital construction team so that we can really provide a full suite of services for our customers. Um, in 2020, we acquired Unimark and ServiceMark in Seattle. That was another key cu- key market where customers were asking us to go. Okay. Yeah. And um, in 2020 and 2021, we also opened offices in San Diego and in Austin. Um, so the past five years have really been about expanding our geographic footprint, and the next five years are really more about how do we leverage that footprint to provide value and a better project delivery experience for our customers. So our growth has always been and always will be customer-driven, but now we're focused on um, adding even more value to our customers through our national construction partnership platform, Yep. yep. Um, which is a platform to service our customers and all of their construction needs nationally and provide them with a consistent project delivery experience and services everywhere that they have construction needs. Um, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, no, and I was I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that is that is that is interesting about that is that you guys decided to kind of go outside of kind of the core market. I would argue typically in the industry, and I'm not saying that's what you should do, but we've seen companies kind of, you know, from the Bay Area kind of expand into, you know, Sacramento and Southern California, right? Sort of stay in the same state. Mm-hmm. You guys sort of went, you know, cross country, if you will. And yep. I understand I think Austin and Seattle makes a lot of sense because a lot of the sort of, you know, growth from technology companies and likely a lot of your clients grew in those markets too. But but I'm sort of curious, um, you know, what the strategy behind that was and why did you guys think that was the appropriate move? Well, you know, we're, our growth, like I said, our growth has always really been driven by our customers and we let them tell us where we should be to service the best service their needs, right? And that's why the national construction platform makes a lot of sense because it's focused on our ability to service the customers everywhere that they are, right? And if you think about who Skyline's core, uh, call it foundational customers are, 50% of work that we do is for technology firms, right? We're right. a we're a Bay Area firm. And so we've really been allowing our customers and to tell us where to go and, and following where they go. Um, you know, the thing that we do for our customers at Skyline is we understand that the majority of times the project that we're working on for our customer is not their full-time job, right? They have other things that they're doing. And so we try to take the pain away. We try to think about the details for them so that they can focus on really enjoying the project and enjoying the process. And, and we're worrying about all the details in the background. And ultimately what, what happens when you do that is your customer starts coming to you and saying, Hey, look, I have to do this again in Seattle. Hey, look, I have to do this again in Chicago. Can you guys just do it for me? And that's really the driver of the National Construction Partnership Platform, right? So it's consistent yeah. with how we've grown and now formalizing those relationships so that we get to a point where we can assign a single a single account manager and a single point of contact who's really focused on consistent delivery experience across multiple geographies so that we can offer volume-based savings through our partnership and that we can offer immediate availability to perform. It's really just it's really just formalizing what we've been doing and what's really been driving our growth since we started our expansion back in 2019. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, now that you are focused on sort of operational excellence for the next kind of you know foreseeable future, um, and you've acquired these companies with you know different names, you know, in, in in other markets, what 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 are you guys doing? Like, are you cons- are you considering consolidating that into a single name? And I think I know the answer, yeah. but I'm just sort yeah, of asking no, you kind of no, you know where where, where you guys are going with that, right? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have. From the beginning, one of the kind of tenets of our growth and our experience has been that best-in-class local delivery experience. So to your point, most of our competitors are are hyper-locally focused, right? And, and there's a lot of value in that. And so when we enter a new market, whether it's through a greenfield startup opportunity like we did in Chicago or it's through an acquisition, we're always ensuring that we have a best-in-class experienced local team, right? They know the market, they have the relationships that you need to get things done. And in order to convey that, what we originally thought is that 
it was important to have unique standalone brands for each of our geographic locations. But ultimately what we found is that it's much easier for our customers to partner with us and kind of get to that set it and forget it mentality if they understand that they're working with a single brand. And so what the market will see throughout the course of 2022 and ultimately culminating in 2023 is that we are transitioning all of our existing unique standalone local brands to skyline construction across all of our markets. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So um, one of the things that you talked about just just a second ago was uh, your your growth, and one thing that ca- caught my eye is that you know in you know twenty twenty you guys were at around you know five hundred plus million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Y- you will likely you know cross over seven hundred, you know twenty five in in this year. Uh, that's a fifty percent growth in a period of time when we've been you know dealing with COVID when everything's been disrupted. Um, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, what has been, you know, part of your success and how have you managed to accomplish that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. The one thing where we always talk about change and we've spent a lot of time talking about change today uh, at Skyline, there is a lot of change going on, but the one thing that ultimately is never changing is our foundation as an employee owned company. Right. Um, I think the headlines on the war for talents are now impacting every industry, but that's been true in construction and real estate, I would say for well preceding the pandemic, Um, particularly when you think about things like what we're seeing in terms of the aging trade and craft population and how difficult it's going to be to get things like great superintendents as time goes on, given those statistics. But what the ESOP allows us to do is to really get and retain the best employees because of that that retirement benefit that the ESOP provides. And what that means is that our superintendents are extremely tenured and they are able to deliver that best-in-class project delivery experience, right? So you've got the ESOP fueling this benefit for the customer because of the tenure of the employees with the team. And at the same time, there's this incredible benefit that you can offer to new and oncoming employees that is really kind of similar to, and I would argue better than some of the benefits that are call it customers and really competitors for talent in some cases in the technology industry are providing. What I think what I heard you say is that it's it's been the people essentially, right? And your ability to sort of, you know, preserve the best people to execute on these projects. Would would you argue that that is likely the biggest hurdle in the industry uh, still today is finding people and sort of being able to actually complete a project because, you know, you, you can't find the workers? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the I think that's the biggest hurdle for our growth, but I think it's an issue that's going to be facing the industry overall. Um, and at Skyline, you know, beyond just the ESOP, we have a significant employee focus. It's interesting. I've been asked before, well, what what does it mean to be a people first organization? And if I had to sum that up, I would say it's understanding that the needs of the shareholder and the customer are not in conflict with the needs of the employee and that doing what's best for the employee ultimately results in the best thing for the customer and the shareholder. At Skyline, 
we're a little bit spoiled in that the the shareholder and the employee are one in the same, right? So then inherently there's not a conflict there. By doing the best thing for the employee, you are doing what's right for the shareholder. But what we have also come to say at Skyline and what we believe is that by treating our employees well, they will treat our customers well. They'll provide that unparalleled project delivery experience and the bottom line kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, makes sense. Um, you know, Jessica, it's it's obvious that in the industry there aren't that many CEOs leading companies like like yours. Um, what does this mean for you personally? What does it mean for the industry? You think? Um, what does it mean for Skyline? If you think about the thing about me being a woman in the industry, it's a tough question for me to answer because it's something that I experience every day, but it's not something that I think about all the time because. I find that the people that I'm partnering with aren't thinking about it either, right? Um, what I have found about people in the construction industry is that they are they appreciate honesty, they appreciate thoughtful problem solving, they appreciate subject matter expertise, and they're kind of accepting of leadership in different packages in a way that other industries aren't, right? So if you think about the person who is the real leader on a construction project site, they are likely the most unassuming person there. They're probably not even the person with a leadership title, right? They're not wearing a suit, um, but they are likely the, like the guy on the job site who has been doing it for 50 years right, is wearing the most worn out pair of boots and Carhartts, but has the most experience in that everybody looks up to. And so I find really that people in construction, they appreciate my competency, and they're not really hung up on the fact that that competency comes in a different package, right? So from for me, from a day-to-day perspective, I don't think about it all that often. But now in the CEO role, what I have to say is that it's an immense privilege to represent women in the industry, right? Um, I saw a statistic the other day that only 3% of CEOs in the ENR top 400 contractors are women. And that's in contrast to 15% of the fortune 500, right? So it's clear that the industry has a way to go. Um, And I think that what that means for me is that I have an extra responsibility to be constantly asking the questions of both Skyland, but really of the industry as a whole, what are the things that we should be doing to make the construction industry more attractive for women to participate in and to join, right? Yeah. So at Skyline, what we've done is we recognize very early on the need to create a venue for women to get peer-to-peer mentoring to get industry education and to get broader kind of industry networking opportunities. Um, Because like, let's be frank, a lot of the networking events that go on in the construction industry aren't necessarily super conducive to women. Right. I like to, I always joke. I'm like, it's like a golf baseball hunting, fishing type scenario. Right. Um, (laughs) So in 2017, we started the Skyline Women's Network to give, to to formalize a venue for women at Skyline and with some of our subcontractor and architecture partners to to formalize a venue for them to get the kinds of things that are, that kind of exist inherently in other ways in the industry. 
Um, so we formed the Skyline Women's Network. We have implemented best-in-class maternity and paternity benefits. And we're just constantly asking the question, what are the things that we need to be doing to make the industry more attractive to women? You know, it's funny. I, um, I'm i embarrassed to say that it occurred to me the other day that I don't know whether or not our healthcare plan offers and covers fertility benefits. And as a woman in her 40s, right, who is has a lot of professional peers who are struggling with that, it just occurred to me, this is something that I should know. It's something that I should be asking of Skyline. It's something that we should be asking of the industry because these are the things that are going to make the industry more attractive for women. And so just to sum it up, I think I have an obligation to always be asking those questions, to be raising the bar and to be doing the things that we can to increase the number of women in the industry overall. Um, I saw a statistic the other day, only about 11% of construction workers are in the U.S. are women. Um, and we just need to, to be thinking constantly about what we need to be doing to make the industry more attractive for them. Yeah, absolutely. And from a leadership level, does that also mean, you know, um, making the board, you know, more diverse and, you know, equal, you know, that kind of thing? Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny, the industry, it, we're happy to see that the industry and, and just overall construction and real estate are really starting to focus on and talk about this. But at Skyline, this is something that we have been doing for years, right? Um 42% of our leadership team is is female. And that's not something that happens overnight by just suddenly instantaneously hiring and promoting a bunch of women into roles of leadership, right? It's something that we've been working on for years about thoughtfully considering where we have opportunities for female leadership, identifying our, our the women in our organization who are high potentials and really working hard to elevate them into leadership positions. Um, 33% of our board and our, and our leadership team at that level is, is female, right? So it's something that we've been thinking about for a long time. So you've outlined, um, during this, um, you know, last couple of minutes, some, some of your, some of your vision, you know, you know, specific to, you know, diversity, but, when you think about you know your your operational excellence over the next five years or so, um, what else are you guys thinking about doing? And, and not just not just on equity and equality and that kind of thing, but just as a, as an organization, um, is it innovation? Is it uh, you know doing some things that are you know counter or maybe different from the rest of the industry? Um, I'm just kind of curious, you know, where where would you put your focus? Well, my goal for Skyline in the next five years is that at the end of that point in time, Skyline is the household name for interior construction in the U.S. And the way that we're going to make that happen is really by developing our national partnership program and our relationships with our customers, continue to leverage the tenure of our employees, um, their dedication to their customers and to each and every single project because they are invested in the success of the projects and um, really to continue to leverage our employees as our best asset for growth. 
You mentioned that, um, or you highlighted rather that over the last two years, you guys have been able to, you know, really focus on your employees and, you know, grow the business significantly. Um, as I said earlier, you know, COVID has been sort of a tough time for everybody. Um, are there any specific kind of, you know, lessons learned during the last two years for, you know, Skyline and for you personally, perhaps that that's, you know, you know, changed your maybe perspective on something about the industry? I guess the one thing that the past two years have taught all of us, and frankly, what what the forward-looking future, given everything that's going on in the world today, is teaching us is that nothing is certain but uncertainty, right? And so what we need to be doing and what Skyline is doing with our customers is engaging early and having the discussion about what those new upcoming concerns are, what whatever the new reality is, what it means and when what their issues are, and talking together early about how we can address them, right? So the reason I say early is because I think everybody who's listening to the podcast is probably aware of the supply chain issues that have been caused both by COVID and by now the commodities issues and, and the conflict in Ukraine. Um, and what we're seeing that means is that the start time on a project that, that we typically perform has gone from six to eight weeks from the time you engage the contractor to the time they start to closer to 14 to 16 weeks, right? And and the only way to really minimize that and ensure project effective project delivery is to start early and begin discussions about your concerns early on so that we can ensure that we're addressing them. Um, one of my favorite stories about of one of the things that we did with our customers during the pandemic, and we just recently turned this into a white paper that we published, is, you know, 60% of employees at one point were saying that air quality is a major concern and is a major reason that they're concerned about returning to the office, right? And now this is something that the big tech companies have said, they're going back into the office and you're seeing kind of a return to the office in general. But this concern about air quality is still a major factor that employees are hesitant to come back. And we had a we had a customer come to us, express this concern, and we said, hey, let us work with some engineers and, and talk to you about options for air quality systems that can help to alleviate some of these concerns. So we worked with some engineers and we did a study um, on air quality and workplace safety and, and figured out several options for them and what the best way to go was to alleviate those concerns given the constraints of their specific project, right? Being, um, are they trying to address the issue in one floor, multiple floors, or is this something that's a building owner or a tenant project, et cetera, right? Um, but at the same time, once you got talking about the concept of air quality, and we could be engaged to perform the study, then you can also talk, start talking to them about other other health and safety things that they can consider, like touchless entry, touchless faucets, touchless card readers, et cetera, right? So the earlier that we start talking about the concerns of the new reality and the earlier that we engage in these things, the more effective that we can be in problem solving. Yeah. Uh, COVID has also been described as kind of a great accelerator of, you know, trends, whatever was kind of, you know, 
percolating in the industry 100%. prior, uh, you know, now it's, you know, this is now a new sort of thing. Are, are there any sort of anecdotes or, or you know, examples of, of things where this has accelerated things that you guys were kind of thinking about, but now it's like, oh, no, from now on, uh, you know, this is how we're doing things? Uh, you know, what, what I have found really interesting about it is, and I don't know if I would call it an accelerant, but it's it's really created opportunity for kind of best in class processes and efficiencies as a result of trying to kind of mold the project delivery experience to meet COVID norms. So for example, one of the things that I think is super interesting is that when issues came out about spacing, right, about concerns about how close together people could be and how you fit people safely working in a space, um, we had to essentially reassess the way that we look at how we manage project flow to ensure that you could fit a safe number of people in a specific area, right? And yeah, what that yeah. really did for us is that it forced us to improve our batching on projects and ultimately it created a better workflow so that you weren't overloading tradespeople into a single area. It forced better spacing of the trades. And that's an efficiency that, frankly, we will maintain going forward, right? So ultimately it was a COVID, it was a practice that was intended to address COVID, but now it's become a best practice that will keep forever, right? Um, you know, one of the obvious other things that it's accelerated is people's comfort with utilizing remote collaboration technology. You know, before I think you would see not necessarily delays, but but people were hesitant to engage in kind of remote technology to solve a job site problem. Uh because they would wait for somebody to come to the site, right? But right. now, given how much technology we've used and how used we've all gotten to this remote connection, you'll have a superintendent jump on FaceTime and show something to either a partner or a general superintendent or somebody else and say, hey, look, I've got this issue. Can we work through the project now in real time instead of waiting until somebody gets out to the job site, potentially at a later date or later in the day? So, yeah. Um, that comfort has really expedited things. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's now carrying a phone with a camera. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So that's another thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, as you look back in, um, you know, things that have sort of helped shape, you know, y you as a, as a leader and as an executive, um, you know, um, how would you use that to, you know, give advice to somebody who is considering entering the industry, um, you know, what, what would be some of the, you know, things that you would highlight? You know, I always say the thing that keeps me in construction is the people. Um, the construction industry is full of the most hardworking people. They take immense pride in their craft and they build incredible relationships on projects. And that's really the foundation of how, the industry is able to do what it does, right? You will find the best people here. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think that that translates to a real appreciation for competency, a real appreciation for subject matter expertise, and just an appreciation for 
leadership in general. So, um, I don't, I would love to see people understand and appreciate that more. I see construction as an industry where anybody can be successful, regardless of what they look like, their ethnicity, their gender. I have found that it's a very accepting industry um, of just strong performance in general. If you know your stuff, construction will accept you. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. Uh, best of luck in the rest of uh, the year and, uh, you know, incorporating into into the sort of, you know, larger Skyline uh, family. Well, thank um, you so we much. Wish you well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. <laughs>